This is Audio Tractor, discussions around music and creativity. I'm Alan Strickland. Charles Kelly is an American singer, songwriter, and founding member of Lady A. He's a busy man. Thank you for being here today. I appreciate it. Oh, glad that. to be here. We believe we're coming out of a pandemic, at least we hope we are. And there are some folks who have used that time of solitude to be creative or to spend more time with loved ones, or, or they've headed through this with a little more purpose than yeah. some who've just sat on the couch. Have you used this as a springboard of creativity? Oh, yeah. We've got our new record that uh, you know just came out, What a Song Can Do, and I would say all but maybe one was born during the pandemic. Half of them were actually written over Zoom, which was wild. I mean, I think one of my favorite songs I've written in the past five years is the title track, What a Song Can Do, and that was one of probably the fourth or fifth songs I, I wrote over Zoom, and the first couple of times was really difficult. And then you kind of got the swing of how it can work. You know, I think it was proof that as artists, or just as people, I mean, you can adapt, and you can still be creative when you're not in the same room. And so uh, we told each other, Dave and Hillary and I were like, this is the way we can be creative. This is how we can at least find some sort of uh, sanity. And it was the one thing I kind of based my day around and wake up with, with my little boy Ward. He's five years old and kind of piddle around. And then about 10 or 11 o'clock, I'd hop on Zoom and, and write for, you know, about four or five hours and then uh, hop off and be daddy again. And so it was a very interesting thing. And one thing I did think was kind of cool was a lot of times during these Zoom writes, I would kind of get stuck and I was like all right guys I'm gonna have a little lunch with my family hop in the pool or something and then come back and it was like that's kind of new and kind of different and kind of cool I was able to kind of balance this little home life with it but uh but yeah wrote a lot a lot of music was written over that year some people talk about zoom fatigue and getting tired of screen time and all that but it sounds like for you those things sort of melted away and you were able to move forward anyway i definitely there's there's nothing better than being in the same room and feeling that energy but again i mean there's pros and cons to all of it because there is a certain amount of efficiency that you get when you're on zoom because you're ready to get the hell off your computer <laughs> you know when you're when you're together you're like all right let's uh who wants to go you know Grab a coffee or who wants to go get a little lunch? You know, when you're on Zoom, you're kind of like, all right, man, um, somebody's go, oh, I got to pick up so-and-so in two hours. And so I don't know, there, there is a, a certain amount of efficiency that can happen. Artists certainly do need a little bit of uh, guidance and incentive sometimes. Otherwise, we can just kind of drift off. And, <laughs> and, and well, it feels little... like you're talking about structure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Structure. And so my question is, some singer-songwriters are just sort of when the mood hits me. Yeah. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. I have an idea. Yeah. I'm just going to jot this down. And other people are much more regimented about the time yeah. of day that they choose. Where in the spectrum do you fall? I'd say somewhere in the middle. Once you have a family, you do have to have some level of structure. But I'll have ideas that hit me through the night or whatever, and I'll wake up and sing melodies. But it depends on the day, man. There's some days it's like everything's coming out, and I just got to put it down. And then there's other days where it's like, we'll start writing a song, and after two hours, I'm just like, I I don't have it. I need to step away from this. And then I'll wake up next morning by myself, 8 o'clock, have a little cup of coffee, and lyrics come out. But no, I, I think there's pros and cons to both, man. I mean, there's... I think there can be great art created in any environment, in any kind of regimen. I mean, some people spend a month on one song. I'm not that guy. I've always found if it doesn't come out fast, usually nine times out of 10, it's not a special song. I would say all of our biggest songs that we've written all wrote themselves within two hours. 
So you moved to town mm-hmm. when you were in your 20s and now been here 15 years. Yeah. How has the writing process changed as you've matured and have you got a family and just things are different? Yeah, you know, I'm almost 40. I'll turn 40 here soon and I moved to town. There, there was definitely an innocence you know, once you know what it's like and how to write a hit song, sometimes you don't allow yourself to do some of those innocent non-hit songwritery things that you did when you first started. I mean, our first hit, Love Don't Live Here, the chorus doesn't come in until a minute and a half. I mean, it's just like just a whole lot of verse and then another verse before the chorus comes in. I mean, it's crazy. The structure of that is so is so not a hit song, but it works pretty much is just like two choruses and an outro but it just works because it just had a groove and there wasn't a formula to it and I do think that it took me a while to get back to a little bit of that innocence of like hey man you know don't overthink this there's definitely some songs out there probably in the middle of our career I'm like I was trying too hard I don't know I just think that's just kind of a natural thing that happens you know there is a structure and a formula to it but it is nice when you can get yourself out of that a little bit and just do what just feels good, even if it's a little off structure. I don't know. So you're talking about trying to push away from the recipe a, a little, little bit? bit. Yeah, yeah, you do. I mean, there is a recipe, and a lot of songwriters can do it time and time again and have a lot of success. But it's always nice, and you can tell when somebody has pushed away from <laughs> the, the recipe, and those are the songs that usually stand the test of time. But it's a balance between the two. I mean... Need You Now is, is a very structurally sound song. That was one that we wrote in an hour and a half. It was the second song we wrote that day. And so, I don't know. Again, though, it was like we didn't really know what it was like to write a hit song at that time. It just felt good. So, I don't know. What inside you is the creative force that makes music or is awakened by music? Where where's that come from? Gosh, I don't know, man. I just, I love it. I mean, I'm just obsessed with music. I, I feel like it's always been such a big part of my life and and growing up and it wasn't until I moved to Nashville that I really allowed myself to fully commit and and realize that I was kind of consumed by music and always have been you know I grew up in Augusta Georgia and it was I definitely grew up uh, with a very hard-working dad who just you know it was very a little bit more structured and it was like okay and so I don't know it's always been in me so much I just feel like I felt it my whole life more than I, I I knew I felt it more than other people felt music, you know? So I don't know. It's just such a big part of me, but uh, I can attach songs to every chapter of my life. The first time I heard like Pearl Jam and Nirvana and I was 10 years old, my oldest brother, John, he came back from college and he had one of those little disc man. And I just like sat just listening to those records. And uh, so I don't know. Um, (laughs) <laughs> was questioning him. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about the creative force and where it yeah. comes from. And, you, and I'm going to take a different tack here. Yeah. Uh, I know early in life you were an accountant. You have a degree in accounting. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. So if you were an accountant today, <laughs> what would music mean to you? I would still do something with music. I always, there was, it's so funny, there was always this band, and they called themselves Doc Rock in Augusta. And anybody's wedding or something it was doc rock would play and so i always had in my mind i was like all right i'm gonna be a business guy but on the weekends you know i'm gonna have a band you're the wedding singer yeah i was gonna be like the guy where like that was gonna be my outlet was was you know to be a wedding singer 
probably sing Mustang Sally. Uh, that was always my go-to growing up. It's like anytime, even in college, it was like, there's a band up there. Hey, you guys know Mustang Sally? Um, yeah, that was kind of probably going to be my thing. But the thought of chasing this as an actual profession only came to fruition for me because my brother, Josh Kelly, he's, he's a singer-songwriter, and he had uh, randomly got discovered. It wasn't MySpace. What was the one before that, the illegal downloading? Napster. One? Napster. Okay. So Napster helped ruin the music industry for a while. But he had posted some music on there, and somehow he he found out a way to like start messaging people. And this guy happened to, from Hollywood Records, happened to like hear his song "Amazing," and they like message back and forth. And anyways, he gets this record deal out of college. And I was like, "What in the world, my brother? He never even sang. It was like I was the drummer and the singer, and then he was a guitar player." And I was like, wow, my brother, he's doing it. Well, if he can do it, maybe I can do it. And so after I graduated college, I was like, I worked for a little bit and just hated it. And he taught me in a move in Nashville. But I think he was the reason that I actually was like, okay, my brother has shown me a way. And so I think about that a lot. Like my life would have taken a complete turn if it hadn't have been for my brother not getting that break. So you go from being an accountant. I wouldn't say I was an accountant. I studied. Oh, come on. It's a great story. No, I know. Well, I graduated. I graduated finance and I worked for this waste hauling company. And essentially, I just like put in the bills and stuff. And it was more like billing. I wouldn't really call it accounting. It wasn't like I was. You weren't projecting future. Exactly. I wasn't really doing too many debits and credits. It was a little bit more just like plug these numbers in. But whatever it was. I couldn't stand it. And I woke up every morning really early and I was like, oh my gosh, this is life. This is my life. I can already see my life 20 years from now. And what really pushed it over the edge was I spent two weeks with my brother. He had landed, opened it up for Dave Matthews, like three shows. And I spent like two weeks with him on the road before I started that job. I lived like a rock star for two weeks. I just literally got hammered chase girls the whole time and so anyways then i start working this job and you're doing data entry for a trash hauler yeah after about like eight months i was like i'm losing my mind and i called josh and he goes well you're not gonna believe it but i've been writing some songs in nashville and i really have fallen in love with it i think i want to move to nashville and get out la so he moves to nashville buys his little house and uh and then right around this time i quit my job i moved to nashville well, he meets his wife, Katie, and she lives in L.A. And so next thing you know, he's got his house in Nashville and I'm living there. And a week later, he's like, hey, man, when I'm off the road, I'm probably going to go up to L.A. spend time with this girl I'm dating. I'm like, OK, so I move to Nashville and like completely commit to it. And I don't know anybody. <laughs> and he leaves. And then he leaves. And I'm like, oh, gosh, here I go again. And I'm miserable. I got no money. And I'm like. That's when I talked Dave into moving to Nashville, and that's when things started happening. So, Have you ever had someone go over your material and be unusually harsh with you, and was that helpful or was that devastating? I mean, it's always tough. I mean, I think probably the the hardest, gosh, I don't know, after Need You Now, there was so much pressure to follow that up, and I remember definitely our label was like, I don't know if we've got the song, and we went back in, and we wrote just a kiss so you know sometimes it's a good thing and then some other times it kind of breaks your heart and kills your spirit a little bit but i don't know it's tough i i I think you can take it many different ways i personally look back at some stuff and i'm like man 
if we had taken a little bit more time to write or something, this could have been a little bit stronger. To me, that's where all of it really comes from is making sure you take time to get the best material. You know, I think when I came out with that solo record, and the only reason I did that solo record really was Hillary wanted to take a little time off and she had kids. And I just, though, had this inside of me and some other songs that I knew wouldn't fit the project of a Lady A record. And so there was definitely some reviews of that record that weren't necessarily positive. And I was like, gosh, it's tough when it's all on you, you know? So there was some of that sensitivity, you know? You going to do it again? Oh, yeah. You going to no. do another solo record? At some point. For me, the solo thing needs to be something that's just an artistically driven thing and not about trying to find radio success. I mean, we did try to chase that, and it was so, it was just like, gosh, starting over from scratch, you know? After you've got this big machine that is Lady A, and it automatically gets a certain amount of ears and attention to then kind of start from scratch on your own. It, it, this is Charles. He's the tall one, <laughs> yeah, Lady he's A. Exactly. That guy. Yeah, exactly. And so it's just, that was tough. And so, you know, in hindsight, I wish we had just kept it as purely focused on this is just an art piece. Consume it, you know, how you may. But that part of you that knows what it's like to have success wants as many people to hear it as possible. But. I think when and if I do it again, I'll approach it purely just from the love of it. Because I did. We made it. That might have been the most fun I've ever had, making a record and in a studio. I felt so creative. All the musicians that played on it, I mean, I feel like we had like this crazy bond of like, wow, we're doing something special here. I think it's a great record. Thank you, man. Appreciate that. I made the commitment. I bought it on <laughs> CD. I'm not talking downloads. It's like nice. wanted to hear the full digital yeah. files. So. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a really impressively made record. Obviously, Paul and and Clark. I'm really proud of it. I mean, definitely the songs. I think there's, you know, some of that material definitely could have been a Lady A project, but there's some that I just don't think would have been. And so it's nice to see. Maybe it's nice for me to have another avenue to put out some of this music that otherwise wouldn't see the light of day, you know? So that's that's probably how I want to approach the next one. It's like, okay, here's a whole batch of songs that didn't really resonate with the band, but I want to, you know, I want to put them out. You've won some Grammy Awards. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that, because some people win a Grammy and they're like, ah, oh, look what I've done. And other people are like, ah, oh, I won a Grammy, now what? Where, where does it fall on that spectrum yeah, for you? Uh, I mean, it was definitely something that's been tough to live up to your barometer after need you now and it's like when a song just hits at the right time you know i don't know if it was just the timing of it or what it was but that song took on a life of its own and took a few years to really realize that you can't measure your success against that it just was one of those career songs that you know even caught us off guard yeah i mean it is funny once you once you have a Grammy, all right, that box is checked. <laughs> so you don't have that like thing. Cause I've got some other buddies who are way more, I would say, especially from a live show standpoint, I mean, more successful. And then they'll come over, hang out or dinner party or something. And they'll see those Grammys like, you know, I don't have a Grammy. And I'm like, yeah, but you play in front of 25,000 people. You know, it's like, what's your measure of success and i think that's where a lot of people you have to define what is success for you i mean it's really cool to get acknowledged by your peers but at the end of the day you have to find success i mean there are times i'm like hell i'll give all grammys up just to be able to play in front of 
25,000 people for the rest of my career, you know, because that's what it's all about, live shows and being in front of people. But at the flip side, I don't know, there's a legacy there and, and being like, okay, this material was strong enough to stand up to these other songs and be considered award-worthy, and especially Grammy award-worthy. So I don't know, it's a, it's a bit of a head trip, but I, I don't think you can put your whole career stock into awards because there's so much politics that go behind awards oh, yeah. too, you know? And I think after knowing that now too, like you kind of just go, okay, it's part of the career. When I watch the award shows, I always wonder what happens afterwards? A, a week later, you're eating a Pop-Tart, you're standing in your kitchen, <laughs> you know, slippers, favorite t-shirt. What does a Grammy award mean to you in those moments when no one else is around to pat you on the back? Yeah. Um, now it's just, I don't know. It's just something I'm very proud of. I mean, I've got it sitting up there on the mantle and it's something that's really cool that I, you know, I'm like, wow, look what we've done. I mean, it's been 15 years. I think the biggest validation I get is actually being on the road. There's 15 years of songs that people are singing along to. And the fact that we've lasted this long and haven't killed each other is, is a win in and of itself. But to have 15 years of, of of songs and hits and when when we play a show now it's pretty much every song they're singing along to like that to me is where i get the the chill bumps of like wow we've made it we've done it it's not necessarily from looking up and seeing an award it's people are still showing up and they're singing along and these songs mean something to them and you have a lot of people come to shows are like oh man i i remember hearing you and i was in middle school and i'm like oh gosh that's crazy we've been doing this for a while like kelsey ballerini she opened up for us and she showed us a picture of her. She couldn't have been more than 13 years old with the CMA Fest meet and greet thing, fan club party thing. And she had a picture with us. And then she was open up for us. I was like, this is a trip. So as a husband, as a dad, as a performer, how does that all fit together? I mean, it's had its ups and downs. I mean, it's not easy. Uh, I think Cassie is, I mean, she is such a patient person been patient with me the whole band's been patient i mean i'm i can be a bit of a force i i love to drink that's probably been definitely the thing i've struggled with the most uh i've never been a guy that like does any drugs or anything or whatever but man i love to drink balancing all that over it if i didn't have my wife who's incredibly patient and supportive and dave and hillary who are (laughs) incredibly patient with me if it wasn't for cassie i will say i mean i could i would have broken up the band i just can be selfish and and especially when I'm drinking too much and just mean and, and all that stuff. And so, you know, I think she definitely like settled me a lot and big part of why we're still together as a band, I think as well. A minute ago, you talked about recording your solo project and having a ton of fun. When you're in the studio and you're laying down your vocals, do you like to get one take and maybe fix a few minor things? Or do you like to sing on it for a couple of days? Because you write songs fairly yeah. quickly. Do you mm-hmm. also record them quickly? The process has been different. You know, we've worked with some different producers over the time. Paul Early, who, again, I don't know if we'll ever replicate ever in our career the sound of the first few records because it was also for the first time. I think everyone is defined, everybody is defined by their first three records. I mean, everything about it is just pure, and it's the first time people you know have heard us. And then after that, you kind of know what to expect from an artist, and you can mix it up here and there. But the sound of those first three records, I think Paul beats you up when it comes to vocals. He loves to take a bunch of takes and piece a lot of things together. And I've had other people like Nathan Chapman, who we've worked with, that just wants, give me your best three or four, and let's do that. And then if there's things to punch, but... 
So Whirly can be a bit of a taskmaster. Whirly's the hardest, but then you listen to it back and you're like, thank God. I mean, some here's of the, a Grammy. Have yeah, fun. Yeah. Some of the best <laughs> vocals you'll ever have. But I mean, that's his process and it sure damn worked. You it know? did. Absolutely. <laughs> Has becoming a father changed the way you look at the world and emotion and attachment and relationships and then changed your songwriting? I wouldn't say becoming a father has changed my songwriting it's definitely changed how i look at the world it's brought me closer to uh, my faith for sure that's something i struggle with a lot and i don't know something about having a kid you're like okay god exists it makes you put everything in perspective that your career you i think for so long i lived and died by the success of lady a a single died gosh i'm depressed for a month or whatever and it's it's the weirdest thing. It you it kinda having a kid made me kinda go, I don't know, I've been there, done that. All I really want is this kid to be healthy and happy and that's my main priority. And then the rest is, you know, definitely helps and it's nice, but at the end of the day, you're just so consumed by this this human being that uh I don't know, it it takes a little pressure off the rest. It sounds like he got you off the roller coaster. For sure. You know, just learning that your career does not define you as a person. And for so long, it, it, it had. So, Your brother invited you to move to Nashville to do some writing. And then you mentioned that you called Dave Haywood and mm-hmm. said, hey, why don't you join me? Tell me about the history there. It's wild. We weren't close, really, at all. We were friends, friendly. He always played in the youth group growing up in Augusta. And so he was very religious. So you knew him growing up. I knew him growing up. And he I always just knew he was super talented. We end up both going to Georgia, and he ends up rooming with another buddy of mine that I'm a lot closer with. And so randomly, he like pulls out his guitar, and I was like, that's pretty cool. And I started humming, and we kind of like semi-wrote this song. Kind of kept that in the back of my head. And when I moved to Nashville, Josh leaves, and I'm like, I don't know anybody. And I'm like, what do I do? And I don't know why it popped in my head, but I was like, Dave Haywood, he's in Atlanta. And I said, Dave, dude, I'm going to drive up on the weekends. Is it cool? And like, let's write some songs. I think I'm going to chase this songwriting or solo stuff. I go up there on the weekends for like two or three weekends in a row. And we start writing some songs. And I was like, this is some good stuff. And I was like, Dave, man, we'll never get this chance again. Just give me three or four months. Let's see if this works. You can always get your job back. I mean, he had a really good job, too. I don't know what made him do this, because this is not like him either. He just was like, I'm in. Let's do it. And he moves to Nashville. We're lucky enough to live for free at my brother's place. And uh, we start writing these songs together. And then the next thing you know, we meet Hillary. And that's when we really started. It just started to come together and mesh. But it really is a wild thing. I don't know what made me call Dave. I don't know what in the hell made Dave take that leap of faith so it is it's a very interesting thing but yeah amazing guy honestly probably the nicest human being in the in the entire world with the best intentions always charles i really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to come and do this that was fun thank you you've been listening to audio tractor discussions around music and creativity thanks to biff watson for the use of his studio Kevin Harper for our musical signature, and Clark Slicer for his audio direction. I'm Alan Strickland. Thank you for listening. (laughs) ¶¶